Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. My name's Catherine Carr, and this is season two of Relatively. One, two, one, two. The podcast all about potentially the longest relationships of your life. Uh, sorry, we uh, accidentally locked Ister out. Oh no! <laughs> I'll be bringing siblings together to talk about the connections they have as adults, as well as what it was like growing up together. This week, we're talking to musical siblings Isiter and Sheku Kanemason. My name is Isiter, and I am the eldest of my family. And my siblings are Braima, Sheku, Konya, Janaba, Aminata and Mariatu. I'm the third eldest of seven siblings um, and Isata is three years, so she's, yeah, three years older than me. Can you remember the first time it occurred to you that you're like, ooh, that's amazing, or she's clever, or crikey? <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting for that moment. <laughs> But I'll also talk to them separately to get a more private take on the relationship. There's a feeling of clarity and also strength and and certainty in what she wants to to say when she plays. There's lots of variety and depth to the sound. The amount of range that Cheku could get with one note is always really, really fascinating for me to hear. Brothers and sisters are never straightforward. Sheku and Isata grew up in Nottingham, where their dedicated parents encouraged them to pursue their instruments. Piano for Isata and cello for Sheku, who won the BBC's Young Musician of the Year competition in 2016, a year after all seven siblings appeared on Britain's Got Talent. He then went on to play at Harry and Meghan's wedding in 2018. But he was first influenced by Isata's early talent. We talk about watching your siblings perform, about not-so-overnight sensations, and about being competitive at board games. But Isata started by talking about what it's like to come from such a large family. I think when they first got married, my mum wanted... Well, my dad wanted three children. My mum wanted four, so they settled on four. <laughs> and then um, and then my mum said, actually, can we have a fifth? Actually, can we have a sixth? And then a seventh came and then it just kind of unfolded year after year. Another one just kept spontaneously coming along. So you're the first scepter I think I've had on the podcast. What's it like growing up as one of seven? Although, of course, you didn't grow up as one of two, so you don't know any different. But what was it like? (laughs) Yeah, that was actually going to be my first response in terms of not knowing any different. But I will say that it's it's just very chaotic. Everyone is always, there's lots of noise. We got used to having a noisy household and other people's households felt strange and quiet in comparison. I mean, it was chaotic a lot of the the time. But yeah, I mean, there were things that we did together, a lot of things that we did together as a, as a family, which was nice. And um, we were used to our parents always being busy and my mum having to drive to 50 million different places. <laughs> But it's also, there was always a wonderful sense of community and kind of people who really, really understand you and with whom you have lots in common. And so it was very fun in that sense. 
but then we'd all have our sort of different groups that we'd split off into. And so I spent a lot of time with my brother, who's mm-hmm. just a year older than me, and we would play football and, and table tennis. And the girls do a lot of reading, did a lot of reading, whereas Grandma and I weren't so much into, <laughs> into into that. And do you find that you kind of form and reform, like who you hang out with most and who you get on with, maybe musically or maybe in other ways, and then it's fluid or are there sets? I'm just curious. I'm genuinely curious. I'm one of three, but we didn't grow up together, so it's very different. I'm just curious how it works, whether the closeness with one is set in stone or whether it shifts over time. I definitely wouldn't say it's set in stone. Musically, we tend to play in the same formats because of age and instrument. So I've always played most with my brothers because they're the closest to me in age and that's never going to change. But we've also, as time has gone on, started playing together, all seven of us, because the younger ones uh, reached a certain standard. I think in terms of relationship-wise, I think it's just different. I was always really close to my brothers growing up. But then once my sister's got to a certain age then I became close with them later on once they were old enough to kind of be close close with if that makes sense. And what about Shaky? what kind of a brother is he what kind of a guy is he how would you describe him? He's kind of just quite quite quiet but then at home he's very annoying he's he needs quite a lot of attention like he can't just chill quietly. Oh um I suppose so yeah, I'm quiet in some situations, but others not so. So if our sisters are chilling and then Shaker comes home, we know that the piece is over, unless he has practice to do or stuff to do. But if he doesn't, then he will be very present, <laughs> not in a good way. <laughs> so um, you said how you would describe your brother. How do you think he would describe you? Um, I don't know. I think he'd... I don't know. I think he'd describe me as hardworking, but I really don't think I am. I think I'm quite efficient, but I don't think I'm hardworking. And yeah, I think maybe he'd say that. I don't know. She is very organised or likes to likes to have um, things organised in her in her mind and planned um, and is very meticulous in, in, in that sense. But that's definitely not how I see myself. I always tell, tell them that's a misconception, but they seem to think that. Very clever and very quick very competitive when it comes to not with music but very competitive when it comes to to games and um very easy to tease i would say the easiest of all my siblings how could you tease her then what what button could you easily press to wind e- up any e- easily i mean just anything to do with something upsetting the order of of, of things <laughs> Um, he's just a pain. He just likes to annoy everyone. <laughs> and he likes to find ways to wind everyone up and disrupt people's peace. Is yours a competitive family? No, only in board games. <laughs> Not in music. I mean, Monopoly always gets very competitive. We have a family game called Anagrams, which nobody knows. Yeah, and then sometimes we have cooking competitions. And every year at Christmas, we used to have a decorate your room competition. Who can do it the best? And stuff like that always got very competitive. Oh, yeah, we used to have a, a competition. I, I don't think me and Bremer ever lost competition. So give me a little description of what you would do to um, secure that victory then. Well, I think our bedroom that we shared growing up has, like, the most architecturally interesting features. I mean, it's not a fancy room, but it has, like, the window has like, a, c- a curved shape. Mm-hmm. And so we'd always, like, f- use that. And then my the roof of my bedroom goes, um, has, like, a slope down. And so that was, like... A- thing that we could use but I think also I think it was more just because we cared about winning 
We actually never lost. Yeah, it's kind of true. No, I think there was no, more. We never lost. Just... <laughs> never lost. <laughs> but that's only because they just always went overboard and just went, just spent way too much effort and time, and the rest of us couldn't be bothered. Also, I have. I mean, the boys have a room where it's easy to decorate. My room is very small. There's not much scope, so I don't think I could have won. Okay, you know what they say about about a bad workman, don't you? I, know. <laughs> I felt that way. I sensed that was coming. Yeah. I mean, this podcast relies on the detail of um, ridiculous childhood things. So I want to know what it is exactly you used to decorate. Are we talking cut out oh. bits of paper, tinsel, sellotape? What are we talking here? Yeah, a lot of, t- of, of tinsel. And the most sort of stressful part was we'd have like the whole like box of decorations and then my mum would have to divide them out. Um, and of course, you'd want the the newest ones or the best ones because you don't want to, you're going to be, le- be left with the straggly sort of like tangled bits of until <laughs> you wanted the fresh fresh nice ones um so that was yeah that was a, a stressful point so that was a big moment early in advent in uh, your household was the the doling out of the baubles and who got the good ones and who got the shabby ones was a big deal yeah 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 definitely. <laughs> i like that image a lot and what was the prize was it just clout um I actually don't even think there was an actual prize. Yeah, it was just pure pride. And, um, <laughs> I think that's the biggest pride you can have amongst, amongst siblings anyway. Oh, I think definitely. We talked a little bit about the mood in your house when you were littler, but could you tell me a bit about the schools that you went to and how music was kind of integral to the curriculum there and why perhaps you're some of the luckiest kids that I've heard of to have that kind of focus on the arts alongside other things? Well, we went to two, two state schools, both of which had head teachers which really loved music. So both our primary school and our secondary school had compulsory music lessons for everyone. Many people learned musical instruments outside of the compulsory lessons. There were music nights, there were you know, music concerts every term and just music was just celebrated and was really woven into the school culture. Mm-hmm. And I think that really, really helped all of us. I mean, we had lessons outside of school as well, but just having that musical community within school meant that there were more people who understood what you were doing and also just a great sense of musical spirit within the school whether people were musicians or not I think we're we both feel we all feel really grateful to have had that. To me it seems odd to consider music as a a luxury given how it, it certainly feeds into all of our lives so often and we hear music around and so to to, to learn about it seems like such a natural thing and also it's such a natural way of expressing ourselves. And so as a child to not have the opportunity to be able to, to learn about that and express yourself, I think is, is a real shame. And I think creativity for the sake of being creative is, is sort of under undervalued. And there's such a value in being able to, to create something and to connect something that is quite a sort of methodical and, and physical skill of, of playing an instrument. Mm. And that takes practice and dedication and focus and then to connect that with something very directly emotional I think is is why music is is so important in terms of education but also music is just a wonderful a wonderful thing and music for the sake of 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 music is also very very important. Mm. And what kind of music did you have in the house when you were small how was that kind of lovely education enriched or backed up or just sort of complemented by what was going on at home on the record player or the radio or the cd player or whatever it was it was a mixture of, mm. of stuff and a lot of of classical music and some of our favorite 
pieces um, were the pieces that we had at home. But my parents would also play music from from their childhood and still a lot of music from the 80s, mm-hmm. um, for example, and, and a lot of reggae that our dad would play. And a mixture, I mean, some, some 90s hip-hop I remember listening to a lot in the, in the, in the car. Yeah. Um, R&B, some soul. Yeah, we had a lot of, a lot of music growing up. And as well as being incidental, Isoto, was music, like, did they throw parties or would you, where, where would music fit in? Like, I know you, you said in the car you'd listen to 90s hip-hop and stuff, but was there ever, did you do recitals at home or did you have mad parties where all the neighbours, all the family would come round? Yeah, I mean, when we were younger, our parents would sometimes have big family parties with lots of music and cooking and people. Yeah. Uh, and then aside from that, we'd, yeah, sometimes we'd have friends over and we'd play music or often we'd just be together as a family and we'd play music, either classical music or we'll sit around and listen to a recording or something else and we'll all kind of dance or just listen. And there was, yeah, there's music take, took many forms in our house, I would say. And would you say that your relationships outside of music and inside of music are different? So maybe outside of music, you might rub each other up the wrong way or get annoyed or be competitive, or maybe you don't. But then when you're playing music, is there a different sort of mood that settles on you? Yeah, I would definitely say so, because I would say that we kind of separate the two to a certain degree. So we're more professional when we're playing music together and it becomes all about the music. And as soon as we snap out of that, then we're just back to being siblings and then whatever arguments come, they, they come. <laughs> do you think Isotus starting off in music and obviously being gifted at it and sort of forging ahead, do you think that inspired you? It definitely did. Um, I remember from when I was very young watching Isotus play um, and at, at every stage of, 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 of growing up, you know, seeing her do her first concerto performance or recital or winning a first competition, this, these were all very inspiring moments as a younger sibling to see as well. What's it like um, making music with siblings? I'm not musical at all, and nor are my siblings actually to our shame. We do other things, but not music. What's it like kind of making music, performing music with your siblings? It's it's really really nice, and I think there's a, I guess like a special amount of trust that you have for the other person you're sharing the stage with, um, and therefore I guess like a flexibility and room for spontaneity when you're playing with someone that you you know well and and, and, and trust one. So, um, and it's something that we've done from the start. And we've always played played together from when we when we started learning. And is there something like, you know, with a sibling, you can kind of lift one eyebrow and that says a lot across a room. In yeah. music, is there a similar shorthand where you can instinctively know what they, they might do next? Yeah, I think that, I think there is that. And, and I guess that comes from developing a coherent or co- collective sort of musical personality as a duo. Of course, individually, we have different personalities and different things that we bring to the duo when we perform together but we have yeah like a collective sort of vision and musical priorities and things that we think about and and, and in performance there is um, a lot of room for spontaneity and, and, and responding to each other and the music in the, in the, in the moment of performance. So what's um, Isis's musical personality like then when she performs? You say she's organised and hardworking in life but what's her musical kind of expression? Her, her touch I, I would say or, or sound is is, is very personal, but also you're able to hear all of the different 
voicing and, and that's something that she's um, developed and so there's a feeling that um, there's a feeling of clarity certainly and, and also strength and, and certainty in what she wants to, to say when she plays. The players that I admire most have a sort of natural approach and response to things like rubato and time um, and I think that's something that she has in her play. Yeah I would say that it has a lot of Oh, it sounds like a silly word. It's very expressive and very soulful and it's always beautifully phrased and um, Shaker makes a really, a lovely sound on the cello in terms of there's lots of variety and depth to the sound. And that's always very fascinating to me. Of course, you can have variety on the piano, but it's a very different instrument. And I think the amount of range that Shaker could get with one note is always um, really, really fascinating for me to hear. Mm. And so what does that enable you to do with your particular musical personality when you play with her? And I know you're releasing an album in November. What is it about the two of you together, aside from being siblings or because you're siblings, what is it that, what is the synergy between you two? She's got certainty and clarity. What have you got and how does it work together? I think how it works together because she is so in, in command of what she is doing and often the piano parts in, in sonatas are incredibly tricky because she has um, the command and control over that. She's able to therefore be flexible with things like rubato that I might want to, to do and that she might want to do. And so the music is able to be alive and and um, you're able to hear all of the different voices and, uh, and things like that. And so I think that the changes of colour and flexibility of colour is something that we both really, really care about. And that takes a lot of control and thought yeah it's a difficult thing to have but I think because we play together and our playing works very well mm. together that it, it's able to happen. And does it feel like a sort of inevitable conclusion of all of those piano and whatever lessons when you were younger or does it f still feel kind of unbelievable I'm, I'm not a music journalist so I'm, I'm not going to ask clever questions about music I'm interested in the dynamic of seven kids having lessons and Britain's Got Talent and Royal Weddings and lovely performances and albums and there feels like a sense of inevitability to it but of course there, there wasn't really. I think we're always very aware of how lucky we've been because there are so many people who work very very hard at what they do but there's always the luck element there's always the chance element you have to be in the right place at the right time and know the right people of course you can't do it without working hard but working hard is not a guarantee in the creative industries that you will kind of get the career that you want necessarily. It's not such a linear, inevitable thing. And so I think we feel very, very lucky that everything that we did during our childhood did become something. But we're aware that there are so many wonderful musicians out there that may not have found that breakthrough yet. Did, did you know what success might look like and does it look like what's happening now? I mean, for me, I don't know, I always just wanted to be very good at what I did and have the opportunity to be able to perform mm -hmm. around the world and perform for people and perform and feel that I am adding something genuine and valuable mm -hmm. to their life. And so that's what I would consider being successful. I'm not so driven by um, other other external external mm -hmm. things. I think for me, it's, yeah, it's, it's the, the music and performing in a way that I feel is is how I want to play, is, is what it drives me most of the time. Mm. 
I wonder what it's like to watch each other succeed. I've asked you about what it's like to play together, but I wonder what it's like to watch this person that you kind of play anagrams with and you joke about decorating your thing at home and have row about the last biscuit being eaten or whatever it is, seeing this person succeed on a kind of world stage. I would find that weird. I just can't imagine what it's like. I think it's not weird because we always grew up with music. So there was always the family and then we'd drive to a primary, we'd have a primary academy concert. There'd be a local music festival. So we've been seeing each other perform all our lives as well as being a family. And even though things are maybe on a bigger scale now in terms of the venues, it's still a performance is a performance. And so that's always been woven into the family life and feels very normal. Mm. Can you remember the first time you saw Aista perform, Sheku? Um, no, I couldn't remember the specific first time. It probably would have been like at the Nottingham Music Festival or something like this. Can you remember the first time it occurred to you that you're like, ooh, she's, that's amazing, or she's clever, or crikey? <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting for that moment. <laughs> That's just, I think that's just a little bit mean, actually. Many times, every time I see her, I still perform it. And it's funny because, of course, I see her and hear her practice sometimes when we're at home and stuff. But it's something, um, well, when you actually see um, the perform and the full full thing, it's always a surprise in, in some ways. And, and yeah, I, I love watching her and in the bits where it wasn't happening and you, maybe you wanted it to happen and it wasn't, I don't know how it happened. Things are rarely overnight sensations, but do you think you're kind of insulated from failure and feeling rotten when things don't go right by the fact that you've got this tribe of the other six alongside you? Yeah, I think we've all experienced many failures along the way and, you know, lost competition, things not going well. I think you just get used to it more and more as time goes on. It does help, I mean... You know, when Sheku won the BBC Young Musician, that was a massive turning point. It wasn't overnight, but in a way it was semi-overnight because that's when he suddenly started getting a, an official career. And then that really inspired all of us because you see someone close to you achieving a dream. So it felt very much like a communal dream in a way. And that definitely inspired everyone as well. And the the desire to do music, is that was that always within you or was there... You know, was there times where your mum was like, look, you need to flipping well, sit down and put the hours in, Sheku, come on. Did there have to be external help as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I always wanted to be, I always enjoyed the music and wanted to be a musician for a long time. And But of course, as a child, you don't always understand the work that needs to, to go into it. Or sometimes as a child, you just don't feel, feel like it. And so, yeah, we had um, a lot of encouragement and sometimes our parents telling us, us us to practice but always with the understanding that they knew that we loved doing it and we wanted to be good mm. at what we what we did and also they value being dedicated and focused and mm. um, not giving up on, on something so even if we didn't want to be a musician necessarily my parents made sure that we put all of the, the effort that we had into into things that we we did and, and worked hard and I think I mean, and definitely I'm, I'm very, very grateful for that mm-hmm. now because I think it's difficult as a child to purely just motivate yourself, even if you are inspired by what's what's around you. For sure. Yeah. And I, let me tell you, it's harder as a parent to motivate a child who doesn't want to be motivated. <laughs> let me just put that out there right now. <laughs> so I've read somewhere that um, the next two boys down were really influenced by your decision. Well, the fact that you're really talented at 
a piano wants you to get up when you were little. Um, and a psychologist who's an expert in siblings said, oh, yeah, once you've had more than one kid, the influence of the older siblings is so much more profound than the influence of the parents. I wonder if you think in your family w- what you would say about that. I think that's definitely true because with your parents, the older you get, the more there's a kind of rebellious element towards them, whereas you don't have that with your siblings. And in many ways, it's, I always feel that the siblings kind of form a group and then the parents are slightly outside that group. So you support each other and you have secrets from your parents and you look out for each other. And I think it's much more, it's much easier to influence each other. And I also feel that we're much more likely to listen to advice from each other than from our parents because there's just less pride involved. Oh, um, I don't know. I mean, I guess my parents, yeah, they were very, very um, good at keeping us disciplined, but also there were, of course, lots of things between us siblings that they weren't aware of. But there were also lots of things between us siblings that we thought they weren't aware of, but actually they knew what was was, was, was going on. So, of course, they set the boundaries, but, um, you know, allowed us to work things out between us. As, as well they do actually have very very good advice my they both played music to a fairly high standard and they've mm. been listening to classical concerts for years and years so they actually can give us really really solid advice mm. but it's just i'm i'm talking more when you're a teenager yeah um, that kind of age my kids are teen well one's turning becoming a teenager this weekend and i have become mm. sort of slowly aware of the fact that i know so little about what goes on with the boys. I know they have the secret life and all this stuff going on. And I know because I was a teenager myself that yeah. I'm privy to so little of it. It's a weird sensation, let me tell you. <laughs> it's yeah, a weird and it must, yeah, and it must be sad. I mean, my mum always wants to know more. And sometimes <laughs> even now she'll try and get gossip from the siblings <laughs> by kind of calling each of us and trying to get us to tell her what's going on. And we kind of form a protective wall and don't let her in. But yeah, we try to tell her some things because I think as a parent, you probably want to know. Yeah, throw us a bone. I mean, we want to, <laughs> even if it's a decoy bit of gossip, just tell us something. Um, what's your sibling WhatsApp group called? I'm curious. Actually, we don't have a sibling WhatsApp group. Um, we have a, We have a whole family group. We have the KM's group chat and we do talk on there. But if we're talking just to siblings, we just call each other and just meet up. Thank you to Sheku and Isita. Thank you too for listening. Whatever you're doing. Bye, guys. Bye bye. Bye bye. 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 Can we X out or should we? Um... You can totally. Thank you too to Tanita Tickerham, who let us use this amazing song. Sound design is by Nick Carter at Mix Sonics and digital production by Charlotte Griffiths. Next week, the horror author Catriona Ward and her sister Antonia, just in time for Halloween. If you've enjoyed this episode, it is our 25th. Do head to relativelypodcast.com to see some really sweet pictures of Sheku and Isita, or to catch up on other episodes with guests such as Nikki and Esther Campbell, or Gok and Quaklin Wan, or Chris and Zand Van Tulliken or Ahir and BB Shah. We'd love to know what you think of them. Do tweet us at relatively underscore pod. There's a good tradition of love and hate Staying by the fireside
there's a good tradition of love and hate Stand by the fireside, another rain may fall Your father's calling you, you still feel safe inside Only your ma's too proud Your brother's ignoring you, you still feel safe inside Oh, was it solo, was it yesterday? 